Jesus, You are great and we exalt You together this morning. Father, as we are in this atmosphere charged with Your presence, I thank You for revealing Yourself today to every precious person under the sound of my voice. Lord, revealing Yourself in intimacy and in power. Leaking something from heaven into each of our lives. And Lord, as we continue on this series about heaven, may our hearts long for home. And Lord, may heaven and the realities of eternity have greater influence on our lives here and now today. We thank You for what You're doing, for how You're speaking, for how You're encouraging and meeting each one today at the point of their need. You are the great I Am and we acknowledge You in this place today in the powerful name, the matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Great to have you. Why don't you smile at your neighbor as you're being seated? Nice to see the sunshine today instead of 17 inches of snow and uh, sub-zero temperatures. Can somebody give me a witness on that? Yeah. Well, uh, welcome this morning on behalf of the entire North Point team. We're thrilled to have you worshiping with us. And uh, the welcome books are going by, or they will in just a minute. Give us a record of your visit. If you're visiting, let us know. We want to send you a nice personal note. We're not going to have you stand on your head or wear ribbons and do, do weird things and make you feel strange, but we do want to know that you're here. Uh, so let us know that. And uh, hopefully the ushers put out extra Kleenex for all of the uh, Big Ten uh, conference uh, aficionados because Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin uh, went home, right? <clears throat> Painful. Uh, difficult. But... Uh, Kudos to Kentucky and UConn. Going to be a great game tomorrow night. And uh, it's been great. It's been inspiring, although disappointing. So uh, our condolences. Well, uh, I read something interesting as a bit of history as we prepare to worship God with our giving. President Lyndon B. Johnson's great-grandfather was influential in General Huston. Huston. Uh, He was a general who was gruff, he was rough, he was a military man. Uh, He was as far from Christ and as far from God as you could get. But uh, President Lyndon Johnson's grandfather was a huge influence on his life and led him to Christ. And he was a changed man. Uh, He was no longer coarse and belligerent. He became peaceful. He became content. And to many's amazement, he was publicly water baptized to profess his faith in Christ. And after his baptism, he determined to give, uh, pay half of the local uh, pastor's salary. And many were astonished at this and asked him why he would do such a thing. And he said that when I got baptized, my wallet got baptized as well. And so he was in the kingdom, his heart was in the kingdom, and his money followed his heart, and his money was in the kingdom. And that's why we give. And we put God first financially, because we want Him first in every area of our life, and we give monetarily as an act of worship, because we have been saved, we have been baptized, and our wallets have been baptized too. Can North Pointers say amen? All right. thank you so much for your generosity and, and your faithful giving uh, to the Lord. couple things. Uh, Easter baskets and Easter services. First of all, Easter services, we've got three fantastic worship options for you to choose from and for you to, to invite your friends and your family to. Easter Sunday, 8.30, 10, and 11.30 right here in the main auditorium. 
for the children's ministry through age, or through fourth grade rather, and there will be no student life at any of those uh, uh, services. But we want you to know that. Go, on, uh, go online to northpointcc.org. Uh, you can get the Easter ad and you can share that via Facebook. Uh, invite friends, invite family. We want to see this place packed on Easter Sunday. Your odds are the highest to get a yes if you invite people on Easter Sunday because more people go to church on Easter Sunday than any other Sunday of the year. And we're going to make sure that we have a powerful worship experience and the gospel laid out very simple and very clearly for every single person here. So uh, help us make Easter a huge success. What are the worship times? 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. You've got it. Okay. And then the Easter basket blitz. You've got a flyer in your worship folder. And uh, I heard it said when I first came here to North Point that, uh, that we want to make North Point the kind of church that if, God forbid, we would close our doors, the whole community would feel a sense of loss. And I think that is a great mission as a church. And this is one of the ways that we do it. Uh, we sent out Easter baskets at Christmas or Thanksgiving Christmas last year, and we're doing it for Easter this year for those that have the greatest need. And there's a number of ways that you can participate. You can just give money toward, an, uh, toward a basket, which on average is going to be about $40, or you could sponsor multiple baskets. If $40 is a stretch for you, partner with one or two other people or several families and sponsor a basket. You can come on Saturday, the Saturday before Easter. That's the 19th of April at 9 a.m. We'll be right here in the auditorium. We'll gather here. We'll meet together for some instruction. Uh, We'll receive names, and then we'll go get groceries, and we'll personally deliver them. It's a great thing to do as a family. It's a wonderful ministry. You can operate as a team. You get to connect with some, some people and just be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus in extending love and gift and grace to people that are in need. And so uh, that's a great opportunity. I want to see all of us uh, that are part of this church participate in some way. So fill out the flyer, drop it uh, off at the kiosk as you go out today and let us know how you will plan to participate. Appreciate that. Okay, well we are going to continue on this series. We're in week number seven. It's an eight-week series on heaven. Taken straight from the lips of Jesus, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he, among other things, said, pray this way. Pray that the kingdom of God and the will of God will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. And so we've been, for uh, the past six weeks, and this will be week seven, we've been examining this notion of heaven. Heaven on earth, heaven's influence on earth. We spent four weeks, we talked about heaven's influence on our heart, our head, our hip, and our hand. Uh, We spent a couple weeks unraveling myths and mysteries about heaven. And uh, we're going to spend some time today talking about mirrors and shadows of of heaven and getting some more clarity regarding this place that for many is very, very mysterious. And so we're going to be bringing greater clarity today. And then I'm excited, next week, Tim Chantier, our international staff member uh, from New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, is going to be preaching next week. And he's going to be talking about one of the most important subjects we could possibly address in this whole series on heaven, and that is how to know with certainty that you're going. And so you want to be here. You want to invite a friend. I I know a little bit about what Tim is going to share, and he's got some powerful illustrations that are going to go with a very simple, clear, straightforward presentation of the gospel. And you're going to want to be here, and you're going to want your friends to be here. So I'm looking forward to that next week. 
All right, well, let's take a few minutes and just review some of the things that we've touched on, a couple of the scriptures, a couple of the quotes, and then we'll uh, take a moment of review and then we'll dive right in, talking about mirrors today as it relates to heaven. Uh, I said last week that Randy Alcorn wrote this, that none of us like eating gravel. And the reason, Randy says, that we don't like eating gravel is God never designed us to eat gravel. That makes sense, doesn't it? And he goes on to say this, trying to develop an appetite for a disembodied existence in a non-physical heaven is like trying to develop an appetite for gravel. What God made us to desire is exactly what he promised those who follow Christ, a resurrected body, uh, excuse me, a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. That's what the Christ follower can look forward to, not some ethereal, spiritual existence floating on clouds. And we've been exposing myths and mysteries. We said a couple weeks ago that one of the biggest, biggest myths about heaven is that when the believer dies, he will go to heaven. Now that's not a myth, that's true. But that we will spend the eternal ages up in heaven. And we've been looking at scripture that teaches that although we will spend a period in heaven, Ultimately, heaven is going to come to earth and be annexed to earth. And we were reading in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, about this reality that after the uh, eschatology, after the doctrine of last things happens on the earth, after a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, Satan is loosed for a short time. He's, he's defeated. He's bound. He's thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible says that the heaven and the earth as we know them are going to be renovated. They're going to be renewed. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And then heaven is going to be annexed to earth. So we're going to spend eternity, most of eternity, we're going to spend on this planet. Only it's going to be a life and an existence unlike what we know today. What we're going to learn today is that there's going to be much that will be familiar. There's going to be much that we will recognize. And we're going to see this as we talk about mirrors and shadows in just a moment. John writes this in Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was a physical city with physical walls and physical dimensions and, and, and building material. And it come, it's going to come down to earth. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter. After he writes about love, he writes about something that's very pertinent to our series on heaven. He says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part but then I shall be known fully, even as I am fully known. Paul says when we finally step across that threshold of death and we step into eternity, he says we're going to see clearly. Our vision is going to be 2020. Everything's going to have perfect clarity and perspective. But he says this side of heaven, we see through a glass darkly. It's like looking into a mirror. We only see reflections. I like how the Message Bible reads with this verse. It says, We don't yet see things clearly. 
We're squinting in a fog. We're peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We'll see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly just as He knows us. What a, what a great description. That right now, things are a little foggy. Things lack clarity. But we can see certain things. And I've, I've got some images. Chris Carter shared this with me. shared this last week with the students uh, last Sunday. And uh, let, let's look at a couple of images just to get an, it's just a, a sense of what Paul's talking about. First of all, we, we see this first image, and you can probably guess what that is, although you may not be able to tell what time it is until things come into sharp focus. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when they do... You can see clearly what those images are, and you can see clearly what time it is. That's, that's kind of like what Paul is talking about, that right now things are a little fuzzy. Let's go to the next image. And although you can make out what those are, you don't see with clarity until we go to the 3D image, and you can see the colors, and you can see the clarity, and it's sharp. Let's go to the next image. And we see something that looks like Noah's Ark. Not really sure what that is. It's a Wii remote. Some of you... Are we remote aficionados? You recognize that right away. Uh, others, I, I thought it was Noah's Ark when I first looked at it. I didn't know what the heck it was. Okay, but you, you get the idea. And so we go on and we see uh, a stack of something that looks like books, but uh, you know, we'd be hard-pressed to know what the subjects are, and then things become clear. Next one, we see uh, it's kind of a yellow blob. Nobody knows what that is. <clears throat> it's kind of an, uh, an, uh, a weird figure, and even, in, even when it comes in clear, it's still a weird Sort of a being, detestable me. And then uh, last image is uh, some somebody with a cape. Man, some of you are good. Some of you are really good at seeing. Go ahead, roll to the next one. You can, you know exactly who that is. And uh, but the point is, you know, going back to that previous image, some of you said that's Thor, even though it was fuzzy, even though it was unclear. You you knew who it was. You knew enough that you were able to connect, you were able to identify. And, and that's really the gist of the message this morning. Is simply that there's a lot more about heaven that we really are going to recognize even though the Scriptures aren't crystal clear on all the facts. Still, the Bible gives us amazing detail about the next life. Amazing detail about heaven, about the spiritual realm, about hell, about eternity, about eschatology and prophecy and things that are yet to happen here on earth and that are to happen to the earth. And that's, again, one of the, the many reasons why this is such an extraordinary book, why it's a supernatural book. Why secular culture wants to discredit this book and shred this book and try to destroy faith in that book. And so we're, we're, we're looking and we're gleaning today at some of the mirrors and the shadows. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he used the word mirror. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, he uses the word shadow. He says, for these, and he's referring to Old Testament rules. He's, he's referring to the priesthood. He's referring to the, the, the Mosaic law. He's referring to the temple and to the sacrificial system when he's making this reference to these rules that are only shadows 
of the reality to come. Paul says these, these things in the Old Testament are shadows of a reality that's yet to come. Now, some of you, most of you probably can't see my shadow on the stage, but there's enough lights where there's a shadow. And you can make out that there's a, a person and that I'm moving around and that I'm, I'm walking, but you can't see any clarity regarding who I actually am. But rest assured, if there's a shadow, there's a real object. There's something real and tangible and substantial. And this is, this is important because the Bible references numerous times that things that we see in the Old Testament and things that we see here on earth are actually mirrors, reflections, or shadows of things that are in heaven or to come. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 verse 5 says this, <clears throat> again referring to the Old Testament priests and to that whole, that whole system of sacrificing animals for the remission of sin. He says, Earthly priests serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. So the writer of Hebrews takes it a step further. And he doesn't just leave it that it's a copy or a shadow. He says it's a copy or a shadow of something that's actually in heaven. And when God was revealing to Moses in Exodus chapter 5 through Exodus chapter 31, the, the minutia of detail of how he was supposed to build all the furniture and the tent and the rings and the altars, and all, all that went into this, this system of worship, there was tremendous detail. And the reason there was such detail is because God told Moses, you are supposed to make these things exactly after the pattern I'm showing you. Why is that important? Because it's actually a shadow. It's a representation. It's a patter, pattern of what actually already exists in heaven. And God wanted to make sure that we got it right on earth so that it was an accurate depiction of what was in heaven. And so that's what the writer of Hebrews is referring to. He says these earthly priests serve as a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses said, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. I love this next quote by Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven. Some of you are reading that book and are being inspired by it. Randy Elkhorn has it right, he, and, and he says this. He says, often our thinking is backwards. Why do we imagine that God patterns heaven's holy city after an earthly city? As if heaven knows nothing of community and culture and has to get its ideas from us. Isn't it more likely that earthly realities, including cities, and we could say temples and altars and sacrifices, isn't it more likely that cities are derived from heavenly counterparts? We tend to start with earth and reason up toward heaven when instead we should start with heaven and reason down toward earth. Leave that slide up because I want us to think about that for a moment. That really is at the heart of what I'm saying today. We tend to reason that heaven, excuse me, <coughs> has gotten some good ideas from us. Oh man, built cities. What a great idea. I think I'll build a city in heaven. Oh, look at that. 
Man figured out roads and transportation. Now there's a novel idea. I think I'm going to create some roads in heaven. I don't think it worked that way. I think God's a little smarter than we are. What do you think? I think he's got a few more things figured out. And that Randy Alcorn has it right. We shouldn't start with earth and reason up to heaven. We tend to do that. We tend to think, oh, I'm reading some things in Scripture that are kind of like things on earth. Earth, Heaven must be a little bit like earth. I think earth is a lot like heaven. And that's what Randy Alcorn is bringing out. Earth is a mirror. Earth is a copy. Earth is a shadow. We've been saying, there's so many things that we read about heaven that are tangible, that are physical, that are things that we recognize and that we resonate with. We, we read about cities and we read about country and we read about hills and we read about trees and we read about streams and we read about fruit and we read about streets and we read about building material and we read about people and we read about relationships and family and clothing and on and on and on and on. And it's not that heaven is taking its cues from earth. It's that earth is taking its cues from heaven and it's going to be a lot more familiar than any of us really recognize. And you know one of the reasons this is so cool? Is because it should cause our hearts to long even more for the place that is truly home for the Christ follower. I'm going to say it again. Paul wrote it in in Corinthians. We've read it multiple times. That to be absent from the body is to be at home with who? The Lord. That's our real home as true believers, as Christ followers. So, mirrors and shadows. Let me talk for a few minutes about dimension. Heaven is a different dimension. And we, and we know that. We know that there's, <clears throat> there's, there's, there's properties about heaven and properties about the spiritual realm that are different than the physical realm that we are so used to and that we that we operate in we know that there is a spiritual realm that is very real <clears throat> and that is that is is happening right alongside the physical realm the spiritual and the physical coexist we just can't see it without god's enablement we know from reading scripture that there are angels sometimes we are able to see angels. Most of the time we can't. There's many biblical references to people seeing angels, to, to uh, interacting with angels. The Bible tells us in the, in the book of Hebrews that we're supposed to entertain strangers and it's possible that when we take care of strangers we might actually be entertaining angels. I don't want to be sound kooky or weird or spooky or twilight zone, But you can't read the Scripture without understanding that there's a spiritual realm that is functioning, that is very real. In fact, more real than the physical realm. Because the spiritual realm existed before the spiritual realm. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11 that we understand by faith everything we see was made from what can't be seen. How do we know that? We we know that, we understand that by faith. So, heaven is a different dimension. 
And sometimes we are able to peer into and see that other dimension. And we could spend weeks looking at biblical references. But let me just, let me just share a few with you before we move on. And that is, <clears throat> Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he was being hired by Balak, who was a, was a heathen king, to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel who were traveling in the wilderness after their exodus from Egypt. And so this, this wicked king was hiring this guy that had a reputation to be a man of God to curse the people of Israel. And so uh, Balaam was on his way to deliver a prophecy. He was riding his donkey, and the Bible records that the donkey stopped in the middle of the road because he saw something. He saw an angel standing in the middle of the road with a sword. And the donkey had enough sense to stop. Balaam couldn't see the donkey. So he was beating his donkey because his donkey wouldn't go. And finally, God enabled Balaam to see the angel. And he was terrified. And this angel had a sword and was ready to kill him. How could he see that one moment and not see it the moment previous? Because there's a spiritual realm, there's another dimension that we can't see with our physical eyes that is very real. Stephen, the martyr in the book of Acts, he was stoned. You remember the story. And as he was being stoned, the Bible records that he, his face started shining like an angel. He looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Now let me ask you a question. How could Stephen look up and see Jesus? He could only do it because he was enabled by God. So that makes me wonder. <clears throat> we don't know where heaven is. We don't know how far away it is. We just know there are many references to heaven being up. Jesus ascended into heaven. And uh, uh, the prophet was caught up in a chariot of fire and he went up into heaven. So we know heaven is up, but we don't know where it is and we don't know how far it is. But it's references like this that make me wonder, is heaven nearer than we think? Is heaven so close that Stephen could look up and see Jesus Christ standing beside the Father and His throne? We know that he saw it. Did God enable him to see trillions or bazillions or gazillions of miles? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's very distant. Maybe it's in, a, in another uh, galaxy. I don't know, but maybe it's close. What I do know is Stephen, could, he looked up and he actually physically saw. Amazing. Uh, Elijah was taken to heaven in a chariot. Elijah's servant. The enemy was after him and was chasing him. And he went into a city, a walled city. And the, the whole city was surrounded by the enemy army. And the prophet of God wasn't nervous, but his servant was nervous. And his servant said, man, what are we going to do? And so the man of God prayed, Lord, open my servant's eyes so that he can see that those that are with us are more than those that are against us. And all of a sudden, he could see what he couldn't see before. He could see chariots. He could, he could see angelic beings. He could see a whole army that was surrounding the city, providing divine protection. He could see that in an instant when he couldn't see it the moment before. So we know that heaven is another dimension. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that we as Christ followers are supposed to run our race with endurance. We're supposed to put off every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, tangles us, burdens us, weights us, trips us up. We're supposed to put that off 
so that we can run with endurance the race that's set before us. And in that first verse, it says that there are a whole host of people in heaven that are a cloud of witnesses. What are they witnessing? They're witnessing your race. Is there a balcony in heaven? I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of references to a balcony. How does that work? I don't, is heaven closer than we think? Can people actually look from heaven into earth? I don't know, but I know they're aware of what's going on in real time, and we looked at that in previous weeks. What's the point I'm making? The point is simple. Heaven's another dimension. It's another dimension that we can't see, but it is very, very real. And there is a literal, physical place called Jerusalem and called heaven, a heavenly Jerusalem. And so uh, we, we see this from the Scripture. The last point that I want to make, there's, there's mirrors, there's shadows, there's dimensions, and then there's renovations. And I want to talk a little bit about, about renovation, not only of the heavens but of earth, and what the Bible says about that. I've, I've alluded to it, talked about it a little bit. I just want to, I want to amplify on it for a few minutes and then we'll close this morning. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with renovation. My wife and I have bought and renovated many houses. In fact, when we were engaged to be married, we uh, bought a HUD house that was a wreck and we were renovating it. And it wasn't very romantic and I don't recommend that for those that are engaged to be married. Uh, it's, it's just it's stress that you don't need. But nonetheless, we, we have just taken a bunch of properties and had a lot of fun renovating them and restoring them and turning them into something beautiful. And so we have a small sense of what God is going to do on a much larger scale in terms of renovation. It's interesting, this prefix, prefix of re that we read in a number of biblical words like reconcile or reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, regenerate, resurrect, resurrect. That prefix re on these words is very significant, especially as it relates to the earth and the earth's future as part of God's grand plan. This prefix means to return to an original condition that was ruined or lost. To return to an original condition that was ruined or lost. There's going to be a renovation of the earth in the future. What was stolen or lost is going to be restored, is going to be renewed. And I'm excited about that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10 says this, God's plan of the ages is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Anthony Hokema wrote this, Since a result of sin had been the banishment of our first parents from the Garden of Eden, from which they were supposed to rule the world for God, it would seem that the victory should also mean man's restoration to some kind of regained paradise from which he could once again properly and sinlessly rule the earth. Hokema has it exactly right. The Scriptures teach God created a paradise and He placed man in it. It was known as the Garden of Eden. We know that Adam sinned and that everything changed. 
there was a curse of death, not only on man, but on the earth itself. The Bible says there's a curse on the ground. God told Adam, you're going to toil, you're going to struggle, you're going to sweat. It's going to be difficult. Ladies, childbearing is going to be difficult. All The planet changed when this curse was released on the planet. We, we, we see shadows, we see images, we see mirrors, but we can't fully comprehend what this planet was like before the fall. It was fantastic. It was paradise. And here's the wonderful truth. God's going to bring everything full circle so that the earth is ultimately renovated and becomes our eternal home. God started with man in a paradise. He's going to end with man in a paradise. He put man in charge to rule and have dominion, and we are going to rule and have dominion on the earth under the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ. And the prayer that we were taught by Jesus to pray, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is going to have its ultimate realization on this planet. It's going to be amazing. Let me read a couple of other quotes and then I'll show you a video clip and we'll wrap up. The Bible says in Revelation 22 verse 3, among other things, there'll be no more curse. Listen to what Randy Alcorn says about the curse. After Adam sinned, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. When the curse is reversed, we will no longer engage in painful toil, but we will enjoy satisfying caretaking here on earth. No longer will the earth yield thorns and thistles defying our dominion and repaying us for corrupting it. No longer will we return to the ground swallowed up in death as unrighteous stewards who ruined ourselves and the earth. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that the earth right now is groaning. It's groaning under this curse of sin. And it's looking forward to its full redemption along with the sons and the daughters of God. So earth itself feels these pains and is looking forward to that day of release, that day of redemption, that day of renovation and restoration that is coming. Randy Alcorn writes this, We have never seen the earth as God made it. Our planet as we know it is a shadowy half-tone image of the original. If the present earth, so diminished by the curse, is at times so beautiful and wonderful, then how magnificent will the new earth be? And what will it be like to experience it in something else we've never known? Perfect bodies. I submit this to you that there will be chocolate and there will be coffee in heaven because heaven is going to come to earth and since we grow those things on earth, I think they're going to continue to grow only if you can imagine they're going to be even better. Now that is something to look forward to. Can somebody say amen? Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to conclude with this. I want to show you a video clip and this is, this is uh, uh, forgive me, this is a weak analogy of what we've just been talking about. What this is, is this, is this is Disney animation, Beauty and the Beast. And I want to show you a little clip that probably everybody here has seen. It's the very end of the Beauty and the Beast. It's when the beast is renovated or restored to his original condition. 
And the storyline is this, if you're not familiar with Beauty and the Beast, that there was this, this strapping, handsome young king who didn't know how to love. He was selfish and self-absorbed. And so there was a spell placed upon him, a curse placed upon him, and he was changed into a hideous beast. And his castle and his kingdom was transformed into a dark castle and a dark forest. And his, his servants in his castle were also changed into inanimate objects of a candlestick and a teapot, and you're going to see them. And what happens in the storyline is, is that the beast, the young man, who's, who's living under this curse, he learns to love. He learns to love Belle, and Belle learns to love him. And she kisses him upon his apparent death, and with that kiss, because he has loved her and she has loved him, that breaks the curse, and the spell is lifted, and, and you're going to see everything go back to the way it was before the curse. All right. So Walt Disney it doesn't hold a candle to Jesus. It doesn't hold a candle to what's going to come. So please forgive me. This is a, it's, a, it's a flawed analogy. But at least we can get some sense of what we can look forward to, of what's coming. Because let's thank God today that, that God Himself, through His Son Jesus Christ, reached out and loved us who were unlovely. Those of us who had become hideous beasts. And it's because righteousness and truth kissed each other in Jesus Christ that you and I have experienced partial redemption. But we're going to experience it in full, including this planet that we call home. Let's take a look. We'll watch the video and the worship team will come up and lead us in a response song of worship. And you're going to have something to lift your voice and worship to God for. Let's take a look. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 